Welcome to the Drew Allen Show. This is Drew Allen, uh, your millennial minister of truth. Uh, look, last week, I think I, I teased, you know, that we were starting video, and then I learned, uh, you know, that there's a lot of uh, other, other tech things that go into that. I had to upgrade my internet and do a whole bunch of things, but this is actually now the inaugural uh, video episode <laughs> of the Drew Allen Show, so it's great to be with you. Uh, you know, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard by now a, a lot of coverage now of how these these debates have been going for the Democrats. And well, frankly, they haven't gone well. Let's just put it that way. Um, you know, and I, I, we'll talk about this more a little bit later. I'm going to get into Fetterman here in a second, that debate. I mean, that's that that was a train wreck. Uh, uh, and actually, I just I can't even make fun of Fetterman after watching that um, that performance. Uh, this is somebody who who is just uh, he needs to be in uh, rehabilitation, not not uh, vying to be in the the, the Senate in, in the United States. But um, but you know, the, look, I, there are races in play here, right? The governorship in New York, for example, uh, Lee Zeldin, that looks like he could very well win that 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 election there and become governor of New York. I mean, that that's something that would have seemed impossible b before. And so I just want to say, you know, I, look, I'm, you know, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know, I don't blow smoke. All right. I'm, I, I mean, I'm optimistic, you know, I mean, I, that's the American way, but I'm also a, a, a realist as well. So I, I don't lie to you, but we wouldn't be in this situation of converting so many of these people that we've needed to win over for such a long period of time who've just been bamboozled by the Democratic Party, bought into these lies, indoctrinated for whatever reason, right? This wouldn't be possible without the pain we're going through. Now, I feel it like all of you feel it. Uh, I, do, I don't want it. But, you know, the objective of saving the country, look, th we've, been, we've been moving on this pathway to destruction for a long time as the Democratic Party has risen. Uh, is, uh, look, I mean, look, look what's happened with the FBI and everything else, right? The corruption there. The, th this didn't happen overnight. It's been there for a long period of time. And so if this allows us to wake up and actually start taking back and reduce the Democratic Party to nothing, uh, uh, then that's fine by me. But, you know, there's there's word out there about food shortages. Uh, obviously, uh, the companies are out saying they're going to have to hike prices more. And, and this is a very, very frightening thing for us. Um, but let's get into Fetterman here. You know, here's the thing. Fetterman was a bad candidate before he had a stroke. Uh, you know, he, he, he's now an unelectable candidate, in my opinion, after the stroke. And, you know, in, in terms of his use for the Democratic Party, you know, he's a radical. So look, the way they look at Fetterman is the way they look at Biden. They're just warm bodies as long as they have a pulse. I mean, that is the criteria for Democrat politicians these days in the party. You know, for them, the more brain damage, the better. You know, uh, uh, just as long as you have a heartbeat, and you can, you know, vote for our radical agenda. That's it. And Fetterman is the Joe Biden of the midterm elections. And I'm going to play some video clips here in a minute of, of that debate between him and Oz last night. Uh, if you didn't watch it, uh, look, I mean, I'll play one clip of a montage of, of Fetterman. And uh, th that's all you need to hear. It really does summarize the entirety of the debate. But as I said, it's not funny. Uh, anymore with Fetterman, you know, I, I look, he is seriously disabled and I, I've poked fun at Fetterman before, you know, I, I, I remember I said, Hey, this guy makes Frankenstein's monster look like a success, you know, but you know, they kind of hit him from us. I don't have any sense of humor about Fetterman anymore. Not after watching that debate. Uh, and we knew he had a stroke just like we knew Biden had had issues cognitively. 
And they did their best to cover it up. And, and I want to point something else out because we're going to talk a lot about elections in general on today's show. But, you know, there are, uh, gosh, I think half a million people have already ca- had already cast their ballot in Pennsylvania before, before this debate with uh, between Fetterman and Oz. And, you know, they interviewed people after this debate who watched it. And, and, and some of them said, hey, you know, I was going to vote for Fetterman. And after watching that debate, I can no longer vote for Fetterman. After watching what I just saw, after witnessing that, I'm going to vote for Oz. But half a million people are. This is why it's, a, it's absurd that we have these uh, extended elections. And you know what? Democrats would just have elections if, if they could do it, uh, you know, six months before. I mean, they'd start casting ballots for president. You just write in Democrat. You don't even have to have their candidate chosen right now. Just go ahead and start voting for, for the presidential election in 2024. Um, so look, you know, I, I just, I, I really, I'm not trying to, uh, to, 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 you know, con- convey myself as some, you know, virtue signaling person who's uh, holier than thou. Uh, that's not my point. I- I- I'm just saying that I was kind of making fun of Fetterman before, and-, and I can't do it anymore. I cannot make fun of somebody uh, who has a serious disability. I can't do it. And, you know, we are going to address his policies. Uh, he does not get a pass because of his stroke. All right. Fetterman and the Democratic Party chose to keep him as their candidate. They chose this. So he doesn't get a free pass from me. Um, but, I, you know, poor is not even ac- an accurate way to describe this, uh, this, um, this debate. It was, it was an unmitigated disaster. And, um, you know, Captain, go ahead, I think, and elite queue up. Uh, it'll be a minute here, but queue up, uh, cut one for me. But, you know, look, even, even the, the drive-by media, they, they couldn't even deny uh, how bad this debate was. I, I saw, I, I, you know, others in the media, look, they're trying, of course, to spin Fetterman's cognitive disability as a reason to vote. They're trying to turn this into, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it, it, the greatest deliberative body in the world, right? And somebody that can't speak, who can't think, who can't formulate a coherent thought, somebody with a a, a cognitive disability, right? Oh, well, that's a strength. Vote, give him a pity vote. And that's what they're trying to do, evoke some kind of sympathy for him. No, I don't, I don't think so. I have sympathy, uh, but he should be, you know, uh, seeking treatment, not trying to win this race. And, um, you know, I, I guess I would just add that, you know, we, we don't vote for elected representatives based on sympathy. And, you know, Fetterman is as radical as they get, as anti-American as they come. I mean, this is somebody who doesn't believe there should be any limits on abortion. Now, about the only thing the left-wing media can say in terms of attacking Oz right now is uh, there was a moment in the debate where, you know, he didn't say that he would oppose, you know, pro-life legislation in, uh, in Congress. That's about it. But look, we've had issues with Oz because we know that he's not an, an, an ardent opponent of abortion, right? But he's certainly not John Fetterman. And the Democrats are trying to say that Oz is some kind of radical because, uh, you know, he won't support basically infanticide. I mean, that's, his, that's the best they have. That's the best they have. So Fetterman, he, he supports infanticide. Um, 
He supports single-payer socialized medicine. He supports eliminating fossil fuels. He supports putting violent criminals back on the streets. Fetterman is the quintessential representation of the Democrat politician at present. He is an accurate portrayal of what the Democratic Party has become. Now, here's really the biggest takeaway from that debate for me. Fetterman being on that stage exposes, exposes just how uncompassionate the left is. Look, not only do they have no compassion for you and I, for American citizens, they have no compassion for their own. They support these policies that directly hurt us. And, uh, and then they show they, they also have no compassion for John Fetterman. I mean, who puts that person out there on a stage? I mean, we know that Fetterman's a lunatic, but they're putting this man who, I, I mean, I, you'll hear it in just a second. He can't formulate thoughts. He gets frustrated by his own inability to speak and think clearly he's confused. And that's not his fault. And they're shoving this person into high pressure situations. I mean, in, in normal everyday conversations with no stakes, sitting in a room, having a casual conversation, this guy struggles to communicate. And that's why I say he should be on therapy in, you know, getting therapy in rehab. He should be trying to improve himself and get well. Instead, he's on this debate stage. He's running for U.S. Senate. And that's his choice. But Pennsylvania has a choice, too. And the compassionate thing to do in Pennsylvania is to reject this man, retire him from politics and allow him to seek the help that he needs. And I, I, I'm not making fun of him. I'm not being cruel. You know what? Um. Captain, go ahead and uh, and play uh, uh, cut one. Hi, Actually, good night, everybody. And this campaign is all about, to me, is about they didn't pay the bills and it got our paid. Here's what I think we have to fight about inflation here right now. That's what we need to fight about inflation. We also be able to make more in Pennsylvania. When he had a choice to make his merchandise, the Oz label is on, he made it all in China. And how can a man, you know, with with, you know, 10 gigantic mansions, you know, has uh, unwilling to talk about a, a willing wage. Now, we, we all have to make sure that everyone that works is able to, that's that's the most American bargain. And I believe they haven't have any businesses being, being uh, he doesn't want to talk about having somebody having a living wage and having somebody able to survive. Roe v. Wade for me is should be the law. What I support, I support on Roe v. Wade. And I've always believed that the choice believes women and their doctors. I believe that it, I believe the real doctors that I believe in, they all believe that I'm ready to be served. He keeps talking about Bernie, Bernie Sanders living closer to anybody else in Pennsylvania for fracking to myself. Uh, I, I, I do support fracking and I don't, I don't, I support fracking. And I stand and I do support fracking. He has never met an air, uh, uh, an oil company that he doesn't swipe right about. I ran to be mayor back in 2005. I'm the only person on this stage right now that has con con was successful. All right, so there you have it. I, I really don't think that I need to comment much on it. I mean, if you watch that clip, if you're watching video, if you heard it on the podcast, uh, I think that goes without saying. Uh, is that somebody that should be running for Senate? Regard I mean, look, his radical policies are, are bad enough in themselves. But there you have it. 
And, you know, cue up a, a cut too, Captain. So you just heard Fetterman completely incapable of, I mean, look, I mean, the guy's trying. He's struggling to, to, to formulate a coherent thought, to communicate, and he just can't do it. He just can't do it. And, I mean, when you talk about uh, the Senate, when you talk about the House of Representatives, when you talk about the federal government, I mean, look, the Senate is a place where you debate. It's a place where you have to articulate your support of legislation. You have to uh, uh, discuss, um, you know, the merits of legislation, why it's bad, why it's wrong. You know, you, don't have, you have various committees who go in there and you have to ask questions. You have to be sharp. Look, you bring people in there and you have these hearings, right? Although, you know, no, nah, I won't go there. I won't go there. I said I wouldn't do it. I said I wouldn't do it. Okay, let's uh, go ahead and uh, play. play. So I'm going to play this cut for you. This is what some on the left are saying. This is a clip from uh, MSNBC, I believe. That's right. You'll hear the guests. The guests, uh, you know, they'll tear up. Asked about, set up. You know, she asked if Fetterman's vulnerability can be turned into a strength. So that's where they are, right? You see, you just saw the clip, you heard the clip, you heard Fetterman, and they think that that performance is the reason why we should vote for him. All right, go ahead and play cut two. Fetterman's campaign is hoping to turn his sort of vulnerability into an asset here. Do you think he did so on the debate stage tonight? It was certainly an example of such remarkable transparency, the opposite of what, what the Oz campaign has sort of asserted, which is that he's somehow hiding something about his health. I mean, showing up for an hour debate, and it was, as he said, starting out, he, he said he was going to talk about the elephant in the room. You played the clip. He said, I'm going to miss words. Clearly, this was a candidate who was feeling stress and there was such intense scrutiny, often ableist scrutiny on how he was going to communicate. And he just did a debate in front of, a, you know, a, the nation, a, you know, an audience of anyone who could listen. And it was so transparent. He did fumble. He did make verbal mistakes, um, you know, the, and, and it was all on view. Well, how about that? You know, he he was transparent. I mean, I guess there's something to be said for that, right? I mean, he said he he, he starts out the debate. Hi, good evening, everyone. Um, I'm probably not going to be able to formulate a thought tonight. I'm probably going to make mistakes uh, because, you know, I did have a stroke and I should be getting help. But instead, I'm standing here before you and asking you to vote for me because of my bravery, my bravery. I am here instead of in therapy uh, to embarrass uh, the Democratic Party. Uh, myself, and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, Fetterman was a liability before a stroke. And, you know, look, he's the reason that the Democrats are going to be defeated in the midterms, right? His his radical positions on... I mean, I, I just... You know, even in this debate, though, right, as, as difficult as it was for uh, Fetterman to articulate himself and perform, he also lied repeatedly and this is another silver lining to me folks if the democratic party's radical agenda was so popular so widely accepted in the united states of america if this nation was truly a majority lunatic 
they wouldn't be lying about what they're trying to do, would they? They wouldn't go on a debate stage and, sh- and lie about their position on fracking, lie about their position on single-payer socialized medicine, lie about this and that. They would come clean and say, yeah, absolutely, I support that. So this is a positive indication. Um, you know, the, the Democratic Party has, has gotten away too long with simply painting the Republicans as worse than they are, right? The lesser of two evils. But that's coming to an end. It's coming to an end. Um, you know, I'm going to play Fetterman's clip about socialized medicine in a second. Um, and unlike Fetterman, uh, who lived with his parents until he was, uh, you know, 40 years old or so, uh, I don't know how old he was, uh, but you know, he's, he's, he, that, that's his story. Okay. He's been subsidized his entire life by his, his, I guess, somewhat wealthy family. You know, meanwhile, he attacks, uh, Oz for having, you know, uh, 10, 10 mansions, he says, you'll hear, uh, 10 mansions, right? 10 mansions that Oz bought uh, because he contributed and, and worked hard, unlike uh, Fetterman there. But, you know, I lived in Italy. When I was 23, I moved to Milan. And I lived there. I worked there. I was a legal immigrant, mind you. I did not walk around with the American flag on my shoulder. I actually spoke Italian. You know, I did the respectful things, you know. Uh, I didn't illegally cross into the border and demand a bunch of uh, freebies, you know, like like the current state of affairs in America with the the new wave of illegals. Um, And, you know, these Democrats always portray socialized medicine. uh, One, you know, it's some kind of rights. But, you know, we know that it's about control, right? I mean, if they can control your health care, just like if they can control the electricity consumption, I mean, they control you. And. You know, Fetterman here, who you'll hear lying, you know, but he supports socialized medicine. You know, I lived there. I used to get off work and I go across the street to this bar and I would sit down and, and you know, practice Italian, uh, but also just enjoy spending some time with a man named Mario. And Mario was, uh, gosh, he was he was old then. You know, he was in his mid to late 70s and he, he'd had a rough life, I think, because he looked even older than that. And we would get into debates about, uh, America versus Italy. And he would tell me what a savage nation America was because we didn't have universal health care. And I explained to him, of course, actually, we have many uh, uh, components of socialized medicine. You know, we have Medicare, we have Medicaid, we have uh, uh, various, various other programs, uh, VA and so on and so forth. It's kind of endless. And, you, you know, you can't be turned away from the ER. You know, if you're an illegal immigrant, you don't even have to pay for your bill. I'll pay for it. Um, well, I don't have a choice, but you know that's how it works. And, but the fundamental point is, you know, uh, socialized medicine uh, does not actually give you healthcare, right? This is the big lie. I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. Universal healthcare gives everyone "quote unquote" health insurance, so you are technically covered, but you can't actually get the healthcare you seek. So, I, I, let me let me put it this way. I, I asked Mario. I said, Mario, all right. You live in this wonderful country with socialized medicine where everyone is covered, right? You all have health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, 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 Drew. See, see. Um, okay, well, you know, if you have cancer, Mario, how long does it take to get into the uh, doctor's office? Hey, three months. Uh, three months, Mario. Wow. Three. So you get cancer, but what, what if you die before you get to the... Well, uh, 
if I uh, have a money, I can go get the private help. Okay, so so what problem did you solve, Mario? Well, we all have health insurance. I mean, that, this is how stupid it is. At the end of the day, the government cannot do anything that is going to be a, a benefit to us in a superior way than the, the, the private sector can do it. Um, so anyway, so here's Fetterman, who's never lived in Milan, who doesn't speak Italian, um, who never uh, experienced socialized medicine. So cue up uh, cut three, Captain. So this is Fetterman, right? So you're going to hear Fetterman say that he never supported socialized medicine. Go ahead and play cut three. Go. Fetterman, he accused you of socialized medicine, supporting socialized medicine. What is your response? Yeah. Again, again, it's the Oz rule. He's on TV and he's lying. I never, so I never supported any of that thing. Single payer is the ideal that we should all move toward. Well, there you go. There you go. I never supported such a thing. Anything related to socialized. And then you have a clip of him saying socialized medicine, single payer is the ideal we should move towards. So there's lie uh, number one. Now cue up uh, cut four. Now, this is Fetterman lying about uh, fossil fuels, his position on fracking. Uh, so in the debate, he says he supports fracking. Now, you heard him. He really struggled with that one, right? You heard in the kind of montage uh that was one of his worst moments i think uh but go ahead and play cut four go i i've i've always supported fracking i don't support fracking uh, at all and i never have um yeah i called for a moratorium on fracking there's no such thing as a green fracker I i'm not pro-fracking 2016 fracking moratorium pledge that fetterman signed for an environmental watchdog group as well as a 2016 tweet he sent while running for u.s senate i don't uh, support fracking I, I think it's something that has to eventually go away uh and i would like to see it now you know this this used to be something that i thought that americans could agree upon you know that lying just in general was not a virtue, right? It was a vice. It was not something to be celebrated. You should be ashamed of it. But this is a trait of the, of the Democratic Party. And, and I, I'm sorry. It's not just a trait amongst people running for elected office. It's a trait amongst many, many Democrat voters these days, too. Um, I, and I just, I don't have an appetite for liars. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes to... <clears throat> When I say the Democrat voter out there, uh, they also have a problem with, with, with being these pathological liars. You know, they lie uh, to themselves and others, of course. I'll give you a perfect example. How can you be or claim to be a Christian anywhere but a Christian in America and support the Democratic Party? The abortion issue alone makes it impossible for someone who says they're a Christian to vote Democrat. Um, but look, you see this all the time because for, for Democrat voters, people who are, who are supporting that party, you know, it's funny because the Democratic Party, right, they always talk about the separation of church and state. But what the way they interpret that is that there can be no semblance of Judeo-Christian values in America. But the, the great irony is that the Democratic Party, that ideology, the party itself, is religion to Democrat voters. Consider that people like Joe Biden, 
people like Nancy Pelosi, right? These are supposed avowed Catholics, avowed Catholics. The Catholic Church has an official position on abortion. Life begins at conception. So if you are a Catholic and you abide by their dogma, their doctrine, you cannot support abortion based on your religious beliefs. Now, the Democrat Party comes in, and what do they support? They support abortion up until birth. They support infanticide. Fetterman does not want any limits on abortion. So how do you reconcile these two things in your mind? Your religious conviction tells you you cannot support abortion. The Democratic Party says you must support abortion up until birth. That's their party position. It's a, it's a religion. And time and time again, what do you do? You choose the Democrat Party. Now, abortion is just one of the many issues out there. One of the many issues out there. I mean, the Democrat Party policies also, I mean, I love the, the, the positions by so-called fake Christians out there who say, you know, it's our job to, to bail people out with their loans and so on and so forth. That's the Christian thing to do, you know. It's the Christian thing to do to let people just live their lives how they want. If you want to give children puberty blockers, yes, yes, yes. Because, you know, Jesus, right? Jesus, he didn't condemn any sin, right? Jesus, he went around saying, hey, I'm spending time with these prostitutes over there, and I'm telling them, hey, you do you. You do you, Mary. All right? That, that's not the message. I mean, I get so tired. I mean, this is what the left does. I mean, they corrupt everything. I call it the uh, uh, the DPT, the Democratic Party touch, the opposite of the Midas touch. Everything they touch, they corrupt and destroy. You know, but the welfare state is the perfect example, right? Welfare. You know, we've got to help these people. But you're not helping these people. You're condemning them to a life of slavery. You know, that's the point. The purpose and the intention behind what the Democrat Party does, right? They claim it's virtuous. They claim it's well-intentioned, but it's insidious. It's not intended to do that. The real intention is to make you dependent upon them. That is not a Christian way to behave. That is not a, a virtuous approach. Hey, I need this person's vote, so I'm going to make sure that I, you know, it's like giving, a, you know, keeping a drug uh, abuser strung out. And coming to you for that's what they do. You know, it's I love the Chinese proverb, right? If you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. If you give a man a fish, you know, what is it? He'll eat for a day. Is this a George Bushism I'm doing here? But uh, but you know, that's the point. And the Democratic Party wants to give you a fish. They don't want to teach you to fish because they want you coming back for them. That's the intention of all their policies. But you know, I would love, I'll just stare into this this camera, you know, that I'm getting used to now here. For you Christians out there, I would love to understand how you can support a party that affirms, uh, says that it is moral, right? It's moral for 10-year-old children to take puberty blockers and mutilate their genitalia. That's the moral position. I'm waiting for a Christian to explain to me how that is moral. You know, it's so funny. I, I talk about the dark ages. And that's where we are in America. You know, the, the Democratic Party is, is, is forcing us into a dark age here, right? Where we deny reason, we deny enlightenment, we deny those things that work, we deny our history. I mean, we change the definite vaccine. 
you know, so that it fits something that doesn't do what vaccines are supposed to do. Men can have babies. Men can become women. I mean, this is not an enlightened party. This is not progress. I mean, in the past, you know, uh, mutilation of genitalia, you know, that was considered a form of torture, right? You would do that to your enemies. You would castrate them, right? To take away their identity. And now the Democrats' position is, well, if you want to chop it off, that's a good thing because it's affirming your identity. What? It doesn't matter if you do it in a doctor's office or a dungeon. It's mutilation. And it has no place in our society, certainly not with people who are children. So go ahead and queue up uh, Cut 5. This is a really short clip, but I'm playing this for you. Uh, well, anybody who has a moral, an ounce of integrity left uh, in their bodies. But uh, Joe Biden, you know, he has, he has affirmed that he believes, well, go ahead, go ahead and play, play Cut 5. Oh. Do you think states should have a right to ban gender-affirming health care? I don't think any state or anybody should have the right to do that. As a moral question and as a legal question. I just think it's wrong. There you go. So he equates puberty blockers and mutilation as being a moral position. And he's talking about for children, by the way. And... If you remember, even on the campaign trail, uh, he was at a, a town hall meeting, right? And Biden told a mother, this mother told him that her eight-year-old daughter was transgender. And uh, so, so Biden, let, let, me, let me see if I can find this quote here. Bear with me. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so a woman in this audience has a kid. Uh, who, who's transgender, and I guess Biden's asked if he supports the policy. And so he told this mother who uh, said her eight-year-old daughter was transgender that he supports children who want to change their gender. Here's the quotation. I would just flat out change the law, Biden replied. Eliminate those executive orders, number one. I mean, what is he talking about? Eliminate those ex executive orders. I mean, whatever. He's brain dead always. But anyway, here's the important part. The idea that an eight- or ten-year-old child decides, you know, I decided I want to be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. It would make my life a lot easier. There should be zero discrimination, Joe Biden says. I mean, look, there is no word for the Democratic Party today except evil. I'm serious, period. A 10-year-old cannot drive. They cannot vote. They can't buy cigarettes. They can't buy alcohol. They can't buy a gun. But according to Joe Biden and the Democrats, a 10-year-old should be able to mutilate their genitalia, change their gender, cut off their breasts. Take pu puberty blockers because apparently 10-year-olds have a developed enough mind to change their gender. I mean, the Democrats do not trust grown adults to make their own health decisions, right? In terms of getting a COVID vaccine that doesn't work. Uh, you know, they say we aren't responsible enough to enjoy our First Amendment right to free speech, our Second Amendment right uh, uh, to bear arms. But a 10-year-old has the right to mutilate themselves. It, it, is this not incredible? So look, you know, we, 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 we have a long road ahead. All right. Um, but I just put it this way, you know, the country really can't survive uh, so long as the democratic party is a viable political party in America. And as I referred to in the beginning, the silver lining here is that they are destroying themselves.
which is why they're coming after elections, right? They're understanding. I'll tell you right now, there's, I, I, I just read a, a story today. The Democrats are terrified that they are going to lose hemorrhage black support. Now, this is the thing about the, the Democratic Party. Look, th- this, is, this is a unique thing in America, and, and it makes sense historically, but there is no more loyal constituency in America than the so-called black constituency. And, you know, the Democratic Party uh, views blacks today the same way they viewed them when we had slavery, right? Democrats believed, right, the plantation owner, that blacks you know, were slaves simply because of the color of their skin. And what do Democrats believe today? Blacks are Democrat voters by virtue of the color of their skin. Remember when, when Joe Biden went on Charlemagne the God's show, right? And he's got a largely black audience. And Charlemagne and him had, I don't know if it was an hour-long interview or whatever, but it, when it came to the end, Charlemagne, he said, hey, you know, I'd like to get you back on here because I've got some more questions for you. You know, my audience would like to ask you more questions. This is when Joe Biden was running for president. And Joe Biden's response was essentially, "What you have more questions? Like, why, why would I come back on here a second time and answer questions for you again? The only thing that you need to know is that if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And these Democrats, look, look, who, what do they call? I mean, look at Kanye West. I mean, he's a little wonky and stuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I mean, sometimes he's right. But, you know, he's, he's a wild guy, right? But my point is, when it comes to black Republicans, it is black Democrats and other Democrats who call them Uncle Toms, right? Which is a, a racist term for somebody who's excessively obedient to whites. And, you know, the only reason that blacks started to support the Democratic Party. We'll just do a quick history lesson here. Herbert Hoover, all right? Um, He was the president, right, in the 20s when the Great Depression hit. It wasn't his fault, but the Great Depression happened, and we all know that that was, frankly, uh, the worst situation in America since the Civil War. Devastated Americans, right? Wiped out all the wealth all the prosperity of the Roaring Twenties. And so when it came time for re-election, Herbert Hoover was running against Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, do you know what his greatest strength was? He wasn't named Herbert Hoover because Herbert Hoover was president under the Great Depression and he got blamed for it. So So at that point in history, okay, Blacks, A majority of blacks supported Herbert Hoover, a Republican still. And for the first time, they switched to vote for FDR. And that's when the shift started to happen. Now, throughout the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the Democrats continued to oppose civil rights legislation. They fought tooth and nail to keep in in practice, um, uh, well, uh, certainly Jim Crow laws in the South, but even lynching, lynching. They, 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 they wanted to keep the poll tax. These are things that even FDR wouldn't touch. FDR refused to address any civil rights legislation. And remember this about FDR. He was, he was probably one of the worst uh, presidents in American history, modern American history, you know, post-Civil War with regards to civil rights. Because not only did he not do anything for blacks in terms of civil rights, 
but he put Japanese Americans in internment camps during World War II. So look, FDR had four terms, right? Truman came in after he died. So my point is you had a long period of time in which FDR was president and, you know, Democrats continued to support him. And you can read about this, but when it came time to civil rights legislation, you know, you had, you had Eisenhower, who was a f- absolute proponent of civil rights legislation. Uh, he finished the job of desegregating the military, desegregating the VA, desegregating uh, uh, these naval locations throughout the country. He desegregated Washington, D.C. And then he passed, you know, basically voting rights. The Civil Rights Act of, uh, of 1957, which Lyndon B. Johnson, who is credited with passing, you know, the biggest piece of civil rights legislation, you know, in 1964 that eliminated, you know, discrimination, race-based and all that. Well, he opposed what Ike was trying to do. But he understood that his election, you know, he wanted to be elected president and his election depended upon the, the getting a majority of the black vote. This is what Democrats have understood for decades and decades and decades, right? That their political livelihoods are dependent, tied to uh, getting a, a majority of the black vote. And that's been peeling off. People are seeing through the lie. The welfare state that the Democrats championed has destroyed the black family. In addition to other Americans in this country. And so blacks are waking up and they're saying we're done with the Democratic Party. And this is what they feared. I mean, you can go back and look in the 90s. I mean, constantly, they're always in fear. They, they, they call it rebellion. You know, it's, they talk about blacks like they're still living on the plantation. So anyway, they understand this is going on. And they understand that, uh, you know, they're going to have some issues at the polls. So um, let's see here. Get, uh, get cut six ready for me, Captain. So look, uh, in Arizona, for example, so these, these drop-off boxes, right, are, are outrageous. They violate all kinds of uh, uh, laws with regards, with regards to, um, uh, to voting in all of these states. And it creates an, well, we, look, I haven't even seen the movie, but I've seen the clips from, um, you know, however many mules, 10,000 mules or whatever it was by Dinesh D'Souza. But we know how why these ballot boxes exist because it's an anonymous location where you can drop off these mail-in ballots. I mean, it goes hand in hand. You know, you you don't clean the voter voter rolls. You send out all of these unsolicited ballots. Everyone gets one. They go to people that you, you know they don't live here anymore. They've died, so on and so forth. And then the next thing you know, you've got a drop-off box where somebody shows up and they're videoed, and they've got twenty-four. Ballots, one person, 24 ballots, dropping them off. Gee, where did those ballots come from? What happened to, you know, one person, one vote, one person, 24 votes? That's that's the Democrat way now. And so the Democrats don't want these drop-off boxes monitored, right? I mean, look, they don't want monitoring at all uh, under the, under the you know, ruse of COVID. They tried to prevent, you know, uh, people who are watching the elections, the voting, tallying going on out of the room so they couldn't even see what was happening and that they want to do the same thing here if you have nothing to hide why are you so worried about it so in arizona uh private citizens have been monitoring these drop-off centers and um 
you know, the Democrats are furious about this. They're bringing lawsuits and challenges right now. And of course, they're at, look, Arizona has an open carry a policy, right? So you, you can carry a gun in public. That's not a violation of the law. And so around some of these drop-off centers, there have been, you know, a report or two here and there of, of people that also have firearms on them. Well, are they shooting anybody? Is anybody? No. They just happen to have a, it's amazing the culture of fear about guns in America too, by the way. But anyway, so go ahead. Uh, this is Mark Elias. Actually, you know what? Pull up a uh, 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 photo one there. I want everyone to see Mark Elias. That's Jabba the Hutt. I'm sorry. It's it's the same. It's a, that's his doppelganger anyway. That's the same thing. It's okay. You'll see what Mark Elias, you'll see the, 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 the similarity when I play the clip here. So, so Mark Elias, Look, he he is the champion of litigation on the left, right? I mean, he he uh he knows how to work the courts. He knows how to to uh, achieve well fraud in elections. That's his expertise. And so uh, anyway, this is Jabba. Uh, I mean, Mark um, talking about the amorality of Americans. This is the. Do you notice the Democrats? It's always amoral, right? If you oppose ten-year-olds cutting off their you know, that's an amoral position, right? If you if you oppose, you know, a baby at six months old being aborted, you're you are amoral for opposing that, and you're amoral if you want to see what's going on with your elections. And you know, look, Mark Elias, this is somebody. I mean, I'm telling you, he makes Brian Stelter. Remember Brian Stelter, Potato Head. Mark Elias makes Brian Stelter look like a Calvin Klein underwear model. He does. It's true. So go ahead and uh, uh, queue up cut six. Cut six. Uh, Jabba, Mark on, uh, on uh, whatever, some news show. Play. Go. Now, the defendants in this case that you've brought include one of these um, sort of anti-voting rights pressure groups that have sprung up um, all over the country in recent years and have been particularly energized since the 2020 election. Also, the founder of one of those groups is a named defendant in your case. But I wanted to ask you about the role um, of the various Republican elected officials who have bolstered what these groups are doing. We've got the Republican candidate for Secretary of State, the Republican candidate for Governor. We've got at least two that I know of sitting Republican uh, state senators who are pushing this effort, who are encouraging people to turn out and be vigilantes at, at voting sites. I wonder if you see some of these responsibilities, some of these officials as, as bearing some of the same responsibility here. Absolutely, Republicans from top to bottom bear responsibility. Where is Mitch McConnell calling this out? Where is Kevin McCarthy calling this out? Where are the so-called responsible leaders of the Republican Party saying having armed vigilantes at the polls preventing people from casting their ballots in a legal way is wrong and they're going to denounce it? Where are they? It's not just the Kerry Lakes. It's not just the, the state legislators in Arizona. It is from top to bottom a party that has abandoned democracy and has lost all semblance of Oh, yes. There we go. Republicans, right? The great threat to democracy. And you know, what's amazing, you know, we're going to get into some fun here. I'm actually, I, I'm, 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 we got, we got to get to it, I guess. Um, what do I have here? 
I, go ahead. So the, the the you know the new thing on the left right now is that they're 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 admitting that they're going to get shellacked in the midterms, but they're saying, oh oh, these Republicans, they're all a bunch of election deniers. These election these radical election deniers are going to be elected into office. This is so crazy. I mean, where are all these people to denounce them, right? So go ahead and cue up cut seven. Uh, I think this is the right clip. Whatever, I'll roll with it. But uh, play cut seven. This is this is Democrats uh, uh, election denying. I believe a montage. Go. So we're all in agreement that it is incorrect to say the 2020 election was stolen. What about 2016 election? Look, I'm not gonna go back into history. It was a stolen election. It was stolen. Stolen. He's an illegitimate president. He's an illegitimate president. You know, pretending to be president. Why do you think the president is going to such great lengths to essentially prove that he beat you? Because he didn't. One third of Clinton supporters say Trump election is not legitimate. I right. think he's an illegitimate president that didn't really win. You are absolutely right. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee and you can have the election stolen from you. The 2016 election was stolen. Got a nicer way to say that? Say Russia hacked the election. Russia hacked our election. Russia hacked our elections. A little louder, please. Russia hacked our election. That was a 9-11 scale event. This was a kind of cyber 9-11 American institution. Yes. Russia hacked our election. Russia, you know, of course, hacked our election here. Half of Clinton's voters believe the conspiracy theory that Russia hacked election day votes. We know that they were into voting rolls actual interference with the elections themselves. We know it happened. Despite no credible evidence, 67% of Democrats believe Russia tampered with vote tallies. Hacking the U.S. election. Hacking the U.S. election. Russia hacked our election. The Russia... All right, all right. So you know that goes on. You know, I, I could do that for about you know twenty. I think I think there's twelve to fifteen minute uh, montages made out there of this kind of thing, and they could probably go on for an hour. Um, but there you have it. I mean, it's just. I don't under. I really just can't comprehend. I mean, I do understand Democrats to to a large extent because I spent most of my life around them, but I really can't get in the mind of somebody who can sit here and and ignore the fact that the Democrats are the original, the OGs, right, of election denying. I mean, 2016, and you know, here they are saying we've got election deniers running, but you know, we've got. Uh, I mean, they've they've got. Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, in in Georgia, there, Stacey Abrams, right? She 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 still refuses to concede. She, you know, according to her, she's actually the governor of of Georgia now, but she's running for a second time. Um, all right, so so that's that's them denying now, but they're not. They weren't just denying twenty sixteen, uh, calling it into question. You know, whatever. They're actually laying the foundation to question the twenty twenty two midterms. So, you know, I thought this is a threat to democracy. You're not allowed to do this, you know. Um, you know, this is dangerous stuff. But the Democrats are already accusing and setting up the talking points that the election in the midterms was stolen for them. But not just the midterms. I, Hillary Clinton, I'm going to play a clip from Hillary Clinton. She's out there part of some, you know, leftist uh, corrupt organization, you know, looking to, to make a buck. Uh, out there talking about 2024. So Hillary Clinton's already saying that 2024 is a stolen election. Man, these guys are more hopeless than I thought, huh? They're already uh, admitting defeat, huh? Unless they can change our election laws. 
So uh, I think this is cut. Uh, what is this? Cut. Gosh, cut eight. Cut. Let's try cut it. Uh, cut eight. Yeah, cut eight. Go. Hello, Indivisibles. I'm here to highlight something that <laughs> is keeping me up at night. And I know this group really understands what I'm about to say. I know we're all focused on the 2022 midterm elections, and they are incredibly important. But we also have to look ahead because you know what? Our opponents certainly are. Right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. The right-wing controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think, if that happens, the 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote or even by the anachronistic electoral college, but by state legislatures, many of them Republican controlled. But there's also good news in the face of this very real threat to democracy. Indivisible has launched Crush the Coup to make sure we're ready to defend democracy crush the coup this is the woman who led a coup trump russia collusion was a coup i mean look everything the democrats are accusing republicans of doing just know that they're it's a confession of guilt it's a confession of guilt that's what it comes down to and so you know this this decision that she's referring to with the supreme well I, you know before i address that i mean firstly think of these people have no comprehension of our constitution of the way things work in this country you know, I, firstly, you know, the popular vote doesn't determine who wins the presidency. So, I mean, that that's a that you don't you can't even begin there. Oh, you know, right wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. So anyway, she talks about the popular vote. And then, you know. The, here's what she said, I think, you know, the 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 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote or even by the anachronistic electoral college. Okay, who is her? Who is her audience? Does, does anyone believe that anybody listening to Hillary Clinton even knows what the what the word anachronistic means? I mean, they got the low information crowd. They own that crowd. Anachronistic? But who does she? Does she? Who wrote that for her? I mean, I and, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the, there's so many. I believe in witches because you know I, I come face to face with Hillary Clinton and these people all the time. I mean, these weird laughs and I mean, they just they look like they're just. I, I don't vampires or something like that. Their eyes have got this look in them. I, I, I don't know, but um, anach anachronistic means old fashioned, right? I mean, now Hillary Clinton is anachronistic. I mean, that's appropriate for her because you know she should be eliminated. You know, sent sent you know packing. You know, she belongs to another era uh, that has no relevancy today. That's true. But our Constitution. Um, and our electoral college are not anachronistic, but you know the Democrats hate, hate, hate the Constitution because, because it's so effective, because it is the singular document in all the world that asserts that the government 
is servants and we are the master. They hate that. They can't stand it. The, the Constitution limits them, not us. And they hate that, you know. But, you know, that's not going to stop Napoleon. That's not going to stop Adolf Hitler. That's not going to stop, you know, Stalin. They can't let the Constitution get in their way of, you know, dominion over, over the, the subjects in America. So, so anyway, so they push forward with these sorts of things. So that decision she's return, referring to with the Supreme Court, uh, it's called Moore versus Harper. And, um, you know, this is how the left describes uh, what's at stake here. Um, it would give state legislatures unchecked authority over election procedures and voting laws and would grant broad power to gerrymander electoral maps. <clears throat> Look, state legislatures do have the power. Do you know what the electoral college is? We, we are not a direct democracy, I repeat. Okay. It's, it's proportional. You know, all 50 states have the same amount of senators. It's about creating balance. It's about ensuring that large states and small states have representation, that their interests are looked out for. Do we understand this? I know you do, but the left does not, and they attack the system. So they are essentially claiming that the constitution is dangerous, right? You know, like free speech, gun ownership, right? These rights are dangerous. So the Supreme Court might uphold the Constitution, right? This, it's, like a, it's like the abortion thing with Roe v. Wade. Abortion was not constitutional. It was a states' rights issue, right? But the Democratic Party hates states' rights. They hate federal, federalism because they want a centralized government. That's what tyrants want. They don't want 50 states to be able to make their own decisions. That does not work for a despot. They need everyone to do what they demand. They need everyone on the same page. You want to live in Florida and have a different abortion law than California? You know, people on the right, even though we're pro-life, would say, okay, just, you know, just stay away from us. You know, vote for your representatives. Let's try and change hearts and minds. But the left, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. If you want to do anything in another state that they disagree with, they want to come into your state and destroy that one too. It's insane. And the founding fathers understood that you know, this country was diverse. You know, people were going to have differences of opinions. And that's how you keep 330 plus million people from going at each other's throats all the time. You give them options. People can go to other states where they feel like their, you know, specific appetite for, you know, infanticide or protecting life, you know, can be met. So, uh, you know, this is what the Supreme Court case is, is all about. You know, I'm not going to get in the nitty gritty. We'll do another episode on this. But essentially, you know, every time you have a census, right? 2020, we had a census. And, you know, the, the populations change. So your representation changes. So the state legislatures redraw the maps, right? The electoral maps. Redistricting is what it's called. And the point is, obviously, if Republicans own the state legislature, they're going to draw a map that's more favorable to Republicans. If the Democrats own the legislature, they're going to redraw the maps to make it more favorable to Democrats. It happens, okay? And so Mark Elias, actually, job of the hut, you know, you can't tell where his head begins and his neck ends and vice versa. You know, that fella, uh, he uh, uh, sued, right? And he got the Supreme Court of North Carolina to basically, you know, get rid of that particular gerrymandering map. And now this went to the Supreme Court. And so 
the Supreme Court is ruling about more than just that North Carolina case. It's about precedent. It's about asserting that the state legislatures have the right to determine their own election laws. And the Democrats, they try to pass H.R. 1, you know, that John Wright, uh, John, what's his name? Whatever. John something. You know who I'm talking about. The old Southern, what is South Carolinian or whatever? John Roberts, that's his name. John, no. Something. I don't care. Um, anyway, they wanted to pass that, that legislation, which was going to create, you know, essentially a committee, uh, that was going to determine whether states election laws were, were legal or not. And this is part of their point, their, 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 their plan. So the SCOTUS case, according to the SCOTUS itself is, is about this, whether a state's judicial branch can nullify the regulations governing the manner of holding elections for senators and representatives prescribed by the legislature thereof and replace them with regulations of the state court's own device. So basically the point is, does the state legislature have the right to determine election laws? Yes, that's where the power is held expressly in the constitution. But the judicial branch wants to override that, right? So this is the left's way to destroy the checks and balances, right? To create totalitarianism in these individual states. We saw this in 2020 with Pennsylvania. The state legislature um, set the election laws in terms of when mail-in ballots could come in and so on and so forth. And the Supreme Court, the judicial branch in, in Pennsylvania, override, over, overrode the legislative branch and unilaterally changed the election laws. That's not constitutional. That's really kind of what this case comes down to. Um, uh, you know what? Just for fun, I want to queue up one last clip here uh, because, you know, we'll never have to hear from her again. This is uh, Cut 9, I believe. Uh, this is Stacey Abrams, right? Uh, the election denier herself. Let's just have some fun. Go ahead and queue it up. Go. And I do have one very affirmative statement to make. We won. But I didn't lose. I got the votes. But we won't know exactly how many because of how they cheated. I did win my election. I just didn't get to have the job. We were robbed of an election. Using the word rigged, using the word steal. Do you think it's dangerous going into 2020? I, I don't. It was a stolen election. It was not a free and fair election. I think the election was stolen from the people of Georgia. I believe it was stolen from the voters. The election was stolen from Georgia voters. If it looks like it's cheating, it probably is. If it looks like it's rigged, it probably is. Stolen. All right, there you have it. Stacey Abrams, right? I mean, I just, come on. If there's a Democrat out there watching, I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you address this? How do you live with this in your mind? I mean, it's, it's so contradictory. I mean, you sit here and say that, you know, Republicans are a threat to democracy because, you know, they denied, you know, or questioned you know, the legitimacy of an election. And yet you have Democrats who've been doing that since 2016. I, I really just, I can't fathom it, you know, but that's the thing, you know, you don't have any principle. Um, but the, you know, the argument from the left right now to destroy elections, you know, they're saying that if state legislatures, you know, have the right to do their constitutional duty and set election laws and the Supreme court reaffirms that, well, that's going to throw elections into chaos. It's going to nullify election rules put in place. Yes. Unconstitutional ones like drop boxes, right? Because they want to come in and if your state legislature says no drop boxes or says, hey, we want to go to you know, one day of voting, which we should be doing, by the way, though they can have the judicial branch come in and say, well, that's not constitutional. I'm sorry. You can't do that. And that's the point. 
Do you know what actually throws our elections into chaos? Mail-in ballots, two weeks or more to determine the winner, drop-off boxes, uh, illegals getting ballots, dead people getting ballots, voter rolls that are never cleaned up. That throws elections into chaos. And of course, that's the point. That's what the Democrats want. They thrive in chaos. And you know, I'll say this too about our, our electoral college, the way we vote. It makes it harder to cheat. It makes it harder to cheat. And that's why the Democrats hate that as well. Uh, because it doesn't matter if you get 100 more votes in, say, I don't know, Texas, or you get 100,000 more votes. You still get the same number of electoral votes. So they can't go and stuff the ballot boxes to the tune of hundreds of thousands in California and New York and just win the election. They can't do it. And that's why they hate it. All right. This is Drew Allen. God bless you all. We're out of time here. And uh, we'll be with you again next Wednesday, all right?